0: Hi, good morning and welcome to the ZP Vlog and Podcast. So we do this vlog and podcast every Sunday at 8am London time. And it's really just a wrap up from, of the news from Zimmer P for this week. So one of the things that we've done, um, I think at the end of 2022 and certainly going into 2023, we've definitely done a lot more workshops you do realize that um, in order for people to really understand sometimes the science and the technology that we're sort of centric around at ZP, you really need to get people face-to-face. And so we have these workshops, people come in. um, If it's the Biosensor workshop, we do one-day versions, we do two-day versions. And they're really impactful. I mean, we put a lot of images out of, you know, attendees at these workshops, and people have a really, you know, I think, you know, not just enjoyable but actually you know they are learning a lot as well and we're also learning a lot so we, we like this reciprocation of workshops you know seeing people hearing their questions answering their questions it works really well for us so um, we're expanding that workshop now and we're starting to um, expand it into our FoodSense um, technology range so FoodSense um, is a technology which primarily today people use it for measuring the Scoville heat units um, the SHU, and even that um, term SHU, Scoville Heat Unit, it's it's such an unusual term. Um, it was kind of invented by, I think it was Wilbur Scoville, um, who was diluting chili products until you could no longer taste them. Um, and I think that each dilution was not think, I know each dilution was 10x. So it's extremely unusual Um food panel testing where you'd get a range of people they would by dil- diluting the product by 10x each time until the person the, the panel can no longer taste it so it was subjective in, in in the fact that there were individuals doing the scoring but it was objective in the fact that he actually had quite a few people you know um, in the panel let's say so we're trying to make it statistically significant um now coming back to the workshop so just that term scoville heat unit has um, so much sort of information loaded up inside it that you really have to kind of explain that. Now, of recent times, there's been more of a sort of transition over to HPLC. There's a method called um the AOAC method 995.03. And this is an HPLC method for determining scoville heat units. But of course, um, there's a big difference between a panel test and an HPLC system. You know, so when you, th- some of us, you know, sort of think about this a little bit, you know, that people's perception of taste is very hard to quantify by a analytical um, HPLC system, but, you know, that's more reproducible, more objective rather than subjective. And then there's the food sensor from Zimmer and Peacock, which is really a um, Scoville heat unit um, meter. And we can also directly measure the capsaicin as well. And from that, we can also determine the um, Scoville heat unit. Now, when you become involved in such um, industries and activities, you do understand that um, people come with different backgrounds. Mm. And so sometimes we have to have a discussion about accuracy. Sometimes we have a discussion about precision. Sometimes you have to talk about things like limit of detection. And we have to talk about, you know, people will receive what's called a certificate of analysis that will um, come from an HPLC system. So what will happen is I will have a chili powder. I will send it to my local analytical lab they will analyze it and then I will get a number back now what's happening is they're getting these numbers back but there are um no description necessarily of the HPLC system no description of the calibration routine that was used and um, no error associated with the number so people take these numbers as absolute values when really they're at best you know maybe absolute but with an error and that error could actually be quite significant um And so people hold these sort of certificates of analysis. In particular, I'm talking here about the HPLC analysis of um, capsaicin, and they take these certificates and these numbers as the truth. Um, And then, obviously, they have things like the food sense, and they want to understand, you know, why there's a difference. Now, sometimes these differences are something like um, somebody will measure a a, um, product at 110,000 Scoville heat units. They may measure it on the food sense at 98,000 Scoville heat units. The error there is about 12%. And so you have to explain that 12% is really not that um, significant. Anyway, to help with people's understanding of both um, the fundamental of what Scoville Heat Unit is, the analytical methods and how we've got to the food sense, and then also the sort of statistics and maths behind um, measuring numbers in the food industry, we are um, doing a workshop um, around that. So that workshop will be online online. Um, and it also be in person. The first workshop will be on the 8th of March um, 2023, but um, we're quite happy to hold it you know, every month and um, try and add some um, some value to the community, let's say. Um, so I suppose that's really in a similar vein that um, we have done some webinars recently on um, measuring the um, accuracy or accuracy and precision when doing um, measurements. I know this for many of you who listen to this. Accuracy and precision are, you know, definitely well understood. Um, and I remember first doing this as um, it was about the first semester when I was doing my PhD. Um, I thought what a revelation it was at the time. I've really been daft. I should have known about this earlier on, but I learned it and I've held it with my with myself ever since. The you know, understanding that um, in life. When you have a new method, you can sometimes get precision. But when there's like a reference method out there, then you can um, move from precision to accuracy. And that's what we sort of tend to do. We go for precision, first of all, and then accuracy. Sometimes accuracy is just an offset. um, That maybe the the measurement that everyone sort of believes in, i.e. the truth, actually has an offset in it that nobody really appreciates. And so sometimes you have to adjust your measurement to understand that offset so that you can also be close to the true value but what's interesting about science and analytical science is truth is really sometimes a really hard um concept I'm thinking about it and thinking you know that um there are universal standards out there um and people sort of get hold of these standards and measure against it but things like capsaicin there are no universal standards um so you know, the truth is, is not really that well, let's say, defined. Uh, moving on some, um, a little bit, but um, really keeping to, um, well, keeping in the ZP philosophy, um, we put a little video out there this week, um, which was really um, about um, microfluidics. So microfluidics is, you know, at Zimmer and Peacock, we do a lot of measurement, a lot of analytical science, a lot of shrinking analytical sciences down to point-of-need testing. That's really what we're doing. Um, And in part of that, you have to have sometimes microfluidic devices, the ability to move a sample onto a sensor. And, you know, when you start bringing in microfluidics, you then introduce the opportunity to move that sample in a um, repeatable, accurate manner, you also get the ability to reduce that sample um, size. And all we were saying really in a sort of video um, and a little note that we put out this week is just keep it simple. Um, Now what I mean by that is people, there's a term out there, lab on a chip. Now lab on a chip would suggest that you take your lab procedure, your lab procedure could be take a sample, dilute a sample, centrifuge a sample, filter a sample, make a measurement on sample. That would be a a lab, let's say, procedure, and it would give you a very accurate um, and precise result. To my further comments, uh, my previous comments. The problem with that is reducing that to a microfluidic device can be a very end up with a very costly device. There's too many processes on there, Um, lots of materials. One of the one of as I described that, then I thought, well, there's a dilution in there, there's a filter in there. The centrifugation would be really hard to achieve, so maybe that wouldn't be. But people do try to literally take the lab procedure and put it on a on a microfluidic, and they call it lab on a chip. And that term does lead people to um, really, let's say, get, can sort of um, end up with a very expensive, hard to manufacture device. So at Zimmer and Peacock, let's keep it simple. We say, keep the microfluidic simple, keep it simple, because um, otherwise you are gonna not end up with a low cost in vitro diagnostic or a low cost test. You're gonna end up with a very expensive test with reagents and materials on there that will end up um, just raising the cost of a point that actually you can't commercialize it. So um, if people are interested in that, just let us know actually, because we can expand upon this topic um, a little bit more. Now, every um, Thursday at 8 a.m. London time, we, um, we like and we do a um, webinar where we answer technical questions. So this week we talked about pH and oxygen sensing for processing. We talked about sodium and potassium sensors. We talked about chili measurement and um, literally electrochemistry being a fingerprinting technology for chili products. We talked about hydrogen peroxide sensing. Um, we did talk about cyclic voltammetry at higher concentrations. That was an unusual one for us because it was one of the questions that came through the YouTube channel, um, but it was a good question. And what's really nice about that ZP, you know, we put a lot of material into the public. Domain, um, but the questions come back really make us think about our science, our technology, our products, our services. So, we really like that feedback. And that was a good question because the question I was asking cyclovoltametry is a representation of diffusion limitation. If I keep on raising the concentration, will I then essentially, you were saying, you know, will I break that diffusion limitation? And I was showing him that over several, or their, them rather, over several orders of concentration change, the, the shape of the cycle of autometry did not change. So that process of diffusion limitation did not change. But it was a good question, and I was able to show them how we could break that diffusion limitation by actually what's called doing forced mass transport, which is forced mass transport. If you stirred a solution. If you shake, shake, a solution, if you pump the solution, all these sort of ways of moving liquid, they would actually change the shape of the cyclophotamogram and you become sort of forced mass transport um, limited. And I was appreciative of the person because they watched the webinar and actually they took that feedback in real time or were able to say, yeah, I get it now. But I thought it was a good question because it illustrates my point that which is actually you're always learning and the more you ask or the... Um, the more you listen to the questions and the statements from other people, uh, really, the more you actually learn yourself. So it was a good webinar this week, and we do always appreciate those questions, um, A, because we want to answer them, and B, in answering questions, you gain a new insight to yourself. Um, we also did put a little bit of a note out there this week. Um, we do have a very, what we call a sort of super user at the University of Minnesota, Um where um, they've actually used the food sense and they actually compare it against HPLC. Now, this is a lab that's, uh, I think by their own, well, not by their own mission, they did tell me directly that they obviously understand the limitations at the University of Minnesota about the HPLC determination of sclerable heat units. But they just want to see that we correlate with food sense against the HPLC method. And they're really good guys because actually they do these correlations and they're very sweet because they say, no you guys have a good product in terms of what we're measuring on the HPLC you're also measuring on the food sense and then they go on to say but you've got the advantage that actually you can do triplicate measurements for example on the food sense whereas on the HPLC we can't we can't afford to do that um so we get we have a nice collaboration with the University of Minnesota they have a really good um researcher there um And it was never prompted by us. They just bought this system and they actually use it to educate the local growing community around them. So thank you to them for that. It's appreciated. Um, The last thing here is um, we put a a note out this week. Now, admittedly, admittedly it was in Norwegian. um, But we're talking about the H5N1, which is unfortunately this new um, avian flu or bird flu. Um, It's an influenza virus, as I say, H5N1. Um, and it unfortunately, you know, sort of millions of birds around the world are dying. It's, um, you know, both wild birds. Um, but like, for example, in the UK, um, the there's a lot of chicken farms um, and they're actually really suffering as well. Um, so, you know, there's a high mortality, uh, more morbidity among um, the chicken farms that um, and they're concerned about this virus am um, actually sort of jumping the um the the barrier and and coming into into mammals i believe unfortunately there are some incidents already and more serious than that there was um i think it was a little girl unfortunately i want to i want to say cambodia but there was a little girl in asia that also has just died from the virus now we're not going to be sending alarms because I think for all the sort of millions of exposures per day, probably to humans, you know, this is just one incident. And with these things, you've got to be very careful because there can be other um, complicating factors. Um, But it is, for us at ZP, we know that we can sort of um, be part of the preparedness for this H5N1 virus, you know, with kits and diagnostics. Um, It's just a personal thing. It's a little frustrating that actually... You know, in order to have that happen, there really has to be a sort of government will. And we haven't at the moment been able to find that government will. And when I say government will, I don't mean necessarily local governments here, but I mean sort of across the globe. Um, But anyway, we put a little note out there this week. Um, It is something that we are interested in being part of preparedness. Um, We do, you know, I really sincerely hope this is a low risk because I do believe um, that one incident... um, really doesn't um, constitute a um, a massive threat to humanity, but we do want to be cognizant of it, and we do want to be prepared for it. And we do have at ZP the technology for doing, um, let's say, rapid diagnostics, um, RTD. That just reminds me, actually, that we do do these workshops, and we do talk about rapid diagnostic testing um, at these workshops. So I think if I wanted to summarize um, the week um, so far, so we will be holding workshops um, on the 8th of March, for example, around food sensing. In there, we will be talking about things like accuracy and precision. Um, that really sort of also is supported by that um, at ZP, we have put some work out this week about microfluidics. And I think microfluidics do really help in that um, of um, accuracy and precision in in vitro diagnostics. We have our ZP developer zone. So if you have technical questions of Zimmer and Peacock, don't hesitate to reach out to us. There's a contact page on our website. I think that every technical question that comes in does get um, a response to in our weekly webinar. Um, And as as an example of that, we do talk about um, Scoville heat units versus, um, or HPLC versus food sense. That's something we covered. And then just something that we're starting to, at least mentally prepare for is the idea that we might have to um, pivot to a, an H5N1 diagnostic um, technology. I think that's important just for actually the welfare of animals in the agricultural industry but of course we'd also want to have it available in case there was an issue that um, the virus hopped the, um, the species barrier um, and unfortunately came into humans and Like I said, there's one incident, but I don't want to be alarmist. You've got to be really careful about that. We don't know the entire um, scenario, complicating factors around that. So I wouldn't, um, we certainly are not um, unduly concerned about that. We just want to be prepared. So let me me say thank you very much. If you're following our um, vlog and podcast this week, we'll do the same next week. So it's every Sunday, 8 a.m. London time. There's no need to watch or listen live because we do record it, but... Any technical questions, send them into ZP and we'll answer them every Thursday, 8 a.m. London time in our ZP developer zone. So I I want to say thank you very much and have a really good week. Okay, take care. Bye bye.